Hi everybody, I'm Jason Davis of the Nerd Brand Podcast, the branding and marketing from a nerd's point of view, where we talk about, well, branding and marketing. So we do this on Anchor.fm. Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain, it's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Uh, what is a rebrand, what it is, what it isn't, what makes a nerd a nerd, and some e-commerce tips on this episode of The Nerd Brand. And we want to welcome everybody here. I'm joined again by Jonathan and Mitch, our other nerds. Hey, hey guys. I'm not here. I'm not here. You're not really uh-huh. here? Wow, well, this is a robot. <laughs> we had that discussion. Has things evolved? I am. <laughs> yeah, okay. All righty. So I guess we'll start. Up. Hey, yes, Mitch, sir. What, is, what is a rebrand? And is that even a real word? Uh, sure it is. Uh, and of course, rebrand may be, you know, mean something a little different to different people. But in my mind, in my experience, a rebrand is basically you take an existing entity and as either a way of retargeting itself more uh more finely if you will to its to its target audience you basically sharpen or adjust the image both visual and otherwise to more uh more clearly communicate to that desired audience yeah so i mean i've I've kind of seen it that way too i mean it's not a it doesn't always have to be a redesign of the logo it could be just a kind of a tweak to it we've seen a lot of places uh do just subtle changes to their logo we've seen a lot over the last five years make major changes to their logos and it was not received very well do y'all remember the arby's logo when they revised it and they made it more 3d ish i'm not i'm not old jason so. <laughs> i mean okay sure whatever uh, anyways, I'm pretty sure they did, but on the other hand, uh, you know, and they kind of went back and, uh, because I mean, there was such a weirdness about it. Uh, and I guess it had a lot to do with that trend at the time. Starbucks though, they've always kind of been tweaking the logo over the years. You can kind of like look that up and see where it's kind of done an evolution, but it's still been the same thing, um, pretty much throughout, you know, the last, well, since they've been existing. Um, so when you talk about a new message for the audience that you need to reach, uh, I guess need is the key word. I mean, what makes a brand have to have a need to reach a new audience other than what's obviously going on in the world right now? You guys got opinions on that? Well, I think part of it, I mean, it's not so much that you're, I mean, it's not, not always anyway. I'm trying to think of an example where a brand had to completely reorient itself. Um, but, I mean, to speak to a completely different crowd nothing comes to mind in that respect. It's just a matter of, you know, times change, communication methods change, uh, vocabulary changes somewhat. Um, just in, uh, in my experience, I mean, if you look at brands like the big brands like Coke or, or McDonald's, it's basically just been minor adjustments to their message and to their image to just stay in step with the communication mode of the day. Um, if you trace it back from like the 70s to the 80s, the 90s, the early 2000s and into the current time, it's just been mild adjustments in, in the words and the images to more closely reflect the market of the day. Uh, not completely yeah. reoriented to go in a completely different direction. That rarely works and it rarely, when, it, when it's tried. But just to, just to stay in step with the times, basically, I think. What do you feel like the, do you feel like there's a divide between rebranding and repositioning? Can you do one without the other? Uh, examples come to mind. Well, re, yeah, re, re, repositioning. I mean, to me, when I hear repositioning, and somebody out in the audience may come back and completely have a completely different, opinion and it that would be welcome actually but when you when you reposition to me what that says is we are not targeting our product or thing 
to quite the right audience. We need to adjust the direction so that we are actually talking to the, the people or entities that we need to be communicating with. To me, that's what a reposition is. Mm-hmm. Um, that, to me, that's a little different than a rebrand. And when you say rebrand, that's almost rebrand um, really is more fluid. It can be as drastic or as, or as mild an adjustment, I think, as, it, as you want it to be. Mm-hmm. When, when you say, say reposition, I mean, quite literally to me in my head, that says we need to refocus in people's minds who we are. Right. That's where I kind of come at it from, you know, kind of the more philosophical idea that the brand, you know, it only exists in the mind of your consumers, you know, your customers. And so, you know, you can do a reposition without rebranding, in my opinion. I agree. I would agree. And and in either way, it's a little fluid. It, it can be as as drastic or as or as minor as they may want it to be. It just it all depends on the situation. It all depends on how, you know how big a hurdle you have to, to get over. Um, right. If you're a brand and you're like, you know, we've been doing this for a while and somehow we're just not talking to the right people. You may have to do a complete rebrand to reposition. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? <laughs> right. Um, to a lot yeah. Positioning. But, but by the same token, you may not have to rebrand just to reposition, to reposition. Um, that, that your, your branding may be good. It's just not, focused in the right direction, you need to take it and refocus it to a different audience. And then the branding you have may work fine. Mm-hmm. At least that's the way I see it. But I mean, yes, short answer. I agree with you hundred percent. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think any kind of longstanding household name, any brand has gone through many iterations of repositioning, um, you know, IBM, Apple, you know, all the kind of tech companies, like you said, as the market changes, as tech changes, They've all repositioned, but, you know, for, for the most part, a lot of their branding, the essence of their brand has stayed the same. Right. I mean, you have a company, longstanding, you know, you know, ancient companies like GE who have um, the essential message about the brand is still there. But how they tell that story has definitely changed over 100 years. And that's because their audience has changed and ad- adapted to uh, the changing landscapes of the time over the years, but essentially they are still the same brand, mm-hmm. even as much as they have adjusted over that over that time period. I mean, it's fascinating, especially if you look at uh, legacy brands like GE, Coca Cola. I mean, again, McDonald's, the car companies, Ford, um, GM. Um, they try to main, maintain some heart, some kernel of who they've always been, but trying to focus that message to an audience that has changed over the decades. It, I mean, it almost gets into sociology when you, when you boil it all down. That's also like what people are concerned about, like with Ford. I mean, they've gone from, didn't they go from like quality first to Ford Tough or something like that? Well, the Ford Tough was, is, if I'm, if, correct me if I'm wrong, the Ford Tough is, was geared toward the trucks. Yeah. But quality has always been the uh, one of the, primary pegs they've hung their hat on has been poor quality across, yeah. across their, their vehicles. Um, I think what's really interesting, I mean, it's kind of going into a tangent, but it, it's germane, I think, is the decision of Ford to now go almost solely into truck type and SUV type vehicles. They are, they're, they're walking away, at least in the United States, from the automobile side of things, which I think is just fascinating. Well, I mean, it's responding to the uh, the audience and where the most sales are. I mean, you try to replicate, duplicate what works. And if they see a, I mean, it's just basic sense that if you see something that's working, you want to try to keep doing it because that's what's going to generate revenue. Right. We're, and that is what lot, people want. Right. We're selling a lot more of these trucks and SUVs than we are of these cars. So why are, and actually, I mean, you wonder if it's a reflection of their inability to compete in like the sedan market with companies like Toyota uh, or even Hyundai, Kia, um, who have really made huge leaps in, in those areas. Now we're getting into car talk, but it's still, <laughs> it's still branding, you know, it's still, yeah. it's still, you know, um, kind of a retargeting in a way, it, it you know, repositioning uh, like Jonathan was talking about. 
it, it all folds in together. I mean, it's like we've all, it's like we've always said amongst ourselves that all of these things are all related. It, you can't break them apart and have them exist on separate little islands. It, it all ties together. But, yeah. Could you do uh, like a sub brand of your brand and how would that work? Or is that advisable or what does that look like in your opinion, Mitch? It depends. It all depends. I mean, if you are a large brand who has historically appealed to a broad audience, let's take, uh, for example, a cabinet manufacturer, for example, um, you've got what they call builder quality cabinets that go into new construction uh, or remodels uh, that are more um, price friendly. Uh-huh. Um, but then you've got another audience that is, you know, somebody that may have, and depending on your market, it's going to vary. But let's just say in the Louisville area, you've got a three to $500,000 home and you're doing a complete kitchen redo or you can spend as much for new kitchen cabinetry as I spent when I bought my house. Um, that's a complete, those are two completely different audiences. So, so yes, to answer your question, you can, because you're going to have a different message going to that three to $500,000 homeowner than you are to that $150,000, $200,000 homeowner. So they need to be different. Those messages, uh, those voices, those images need to be different to reflect that. I guess to kind of narrow down, uh, since we're talking about what is a rebrand, what uh, does anybody have an example or uh, on the top of their head, like what it is not, what what is not considered a rebrand to kind of narrow down the focus of it more? I can't think of anything off the top of my head because I'm always thinking of what it is. Uh, I guess what I, cool. for my for my side of things, I mean, I, I hear a lot of when talking about branding or rebranding, I, people immediately say, well, I already have a website. I already have a logo. You know, it's, it's, it's the, they're focused on the tangible. So uh, I guess, what do y'all think it is not? What a rebrand is not? Mm-hmm. What a rebrand is not. That's kind of why I brought up the, you know, the distinction between positioning and branding. Um, I, I mean, I, obviously the lines are blurred and you can have, you can have one without the other but it's kind of hard to have a rebrand without repositioning. Uh-huh. Uh, and so I, I think a lot of people kind of mistake rebrand for repositioning and vice versa. Uh, to me, I mean, just easily divided in my head. To me, rebranding is changing the visual elements of your brand. Um, when you get into changing, you know, the, the core messaging and trying to appeal to a different audience or appeal to your, aud- your current audience, differently i feel like that's that's more in the category of just repositioning the existing you know the existing brand right it's like i mean you can rebrand without repositioning and you can reposition without doing a total rebrand rebrand but they can but they can do both or parts of both depending on what i guess it just depends on what the need is yeah I mean, okay. I mean, going back again to the legacy brands, um, you know, GE and IBM and these older brands have over the over the decades have adjusted mm-hmm. things like their logo. They've put a slightly different spin on their logo, not completely changed it, but just adjusted it to reflect the taste of the time. That's not a rebrand. That's right. an adjustment. Um, right. That's a logo change. Right. I think. right. <laughs> yeah. A logo change is a logo change. Uh a name change is a name change. Those, right, exactly. Those things together are, are a rebrand. I'm trying to think, of, I mean, can somebody jump in? Is it? Can anybody think of a brand that has changed its name? An established uh, brand that changed it, that cha- completely changed the name of who they are? I think that comes in, you know, we, we asked why would you rebrand earlier, Jason did. Uh, you know, I, I think one of the most common cases is a poor reputation. Yeah. Uh, to kind of start fresh. Um, one I came across was uh, Philip Morris uh, rebranded uh, as, as Altria. Yeah, yep. And you know, I didn't even know that till today. <laughs> that, that <laughs> Altria was Philip Morris, and so yeah, I don't know. I, I guess we're trying to shed that now. I've got a, a negative, a more negative view of Altria. Probably. <laughs> You've uncovered their secret. I remember uh, 
uh, I can't, uh, it fails my memory about it. It was a gas station chain and, uh, it ended up changing its name. I think it's Valerio now, but it used to be Sitco. Mm-hmm. I believe that was it. It was Sitco. And then it became Valerio and it completely changed its name because it was associated with a personality that was outside of the United States who really owned it. That was not favorable in the media or most of the, yeah, thanks Mitch for calling it out. Um, but essentially, <laughs> Um, it, it, it was necessary from a PR standpoint to put some distance between that and renaming was necessary in order to accomplish that. Uh, you know, my grandmother worked at, it's kind of funny cause I was at a, a doctor this morning and, and asked me about, you know, patient history and I won't go into that and all, but, uh, you know, my, my grandmother worked at Philip Morris. I mean, she was, she worked the line where they packed the cigarettes and everything. And it was not a, you know, the ventilation and, and working standards in this in the sixties were not like obviously what they are anywhere today and so uh it wasn't healthy and so um she ended up passing of cancer now she smoked constantly so whether if it was that or from working at philip morris all these years like you said i mean philip morris had this just huge ever since everybody started going after secondhand smoke or smoking in general just a huge pr thing they needed to fix and it became so bad that it wasn't a matter that they could easily reposition the brand they had to completely change in order to save and still continue operations even for because Philip Morris was more than cigarettes, you know, they were can they were right. canned goods, they were other places too. So, you know, it, it's like I think Campbell's food is like one of their brands. So it's like, you know, in order to protect that, they had to change Philip Morris to something else to protect Campbell's or whatever they had as a as a sub brand. So well, nothing as, hmm? as the advertising elder statesman of this trio, it, it it pains me that I can't think of off the top of my head another brand that's had to go because I know there is. I know it's out there, and I know I'm going to get off this podcast <laughs> and I kick myself. Oh, I remember! Oh, I remember! But um, I mean, what what do you have to wonder about? Let's let's look at Subway. Yeah, look, look what they've been yeah. through in the last few years. They've have they repositioned? Have they done any rebranding at all in light of? The the uh, Jared, Jared, yeah, the, the Jared situation, <laughs> the PR yeah. Uh, I haven't seen anything from them. Yeah. What do you think? I, I don't think I think that they have. Um, again, it kind of goes with what I said earlier about Starbucks. Starbucks has made logo changes, but you wouldn't know it because they're very subtle and they kind of occurred at the same pace that Apple did. Apple had obviously a major change when they went from the Technicolor to the grays and whites and black, and that was it. So you could notice it, but brands do their logos, everything evolves and it evolves year, either year to year, whatever the plan is. And so, you know, I, I, I reference Starbucks because it's one of those that stand out in my mind where it's still the mermaid, but it has been tweaked over the years since the beginning and the genesis of that brand. But it's been, but it's been so subtle that I think to most people, probably those changes are almost unre- unrecognized. Un- no, they don't. Yeah, I mean, it, when you know when it when it first came out, the logos first appeared. I believe it was pretty racy, considered by some, you know, and and uh, being a mermaid and topless. But over now, it's kind of like how the hair has been positioned and how she's sitting inside of the the circle or the the uh, you know the emblem uh, has changed. Uh, Wendy's is a is is a brand that you know it's still you know Wendy, but how that she's represented is different now, you know, and and how she was before. And has even changed since then. I mean, there was a some brands are really clever about putting messaging inside their logo. Like uh, you can put you if you look at the Wendy's logo, the one that I'm thinking of is when her pigtails kind of went outside the border of the emblem that she was inside of. You know, her collar spelt mom M O M, and uh, we know that uh, for those that don't know, if you look at the FedEx's logo, you can see a negative arrow pointing forward mm-hmm. within between the Fed, the uh, the Fed and the X. That is one of my favorite logo concepts. Mm-hmm. Mitch brought that up with, with that client. Yeah, That's yeah. Cool. I like Amazon. Um, I like Amazon's logo because it's not just a smile; it's an arrow, and it goes from A to Z, mm-hmm. and it it shows they sell everything from A to Z. Um, they've right. changed the positioning of the smile on their Amazon Prime brand, um, which kind of like now it's just a smile or a weird arrow to me because it's now sitting in the middle. It's no longer pointing from A to Z in the uh, Amazon uh, name. So, um, but, you know, I think that that's a way that, that a brand has changed that, you know, maybe people, just, there's a lot of people that don't under, you know, like Apple, uh, there's rumor that Apple, the reason why the bite was taken out of it is because it's forbidden fruit. 
uh, I don't think it's that at all, but, um, you know, there's all kinds of things that you can put into your brand to kind of give suggestions to the position you're getting ready to take in order to kind of grow and move forward. And that's something that everybody that owns a business should consider uh, because, you know, some logos may last for a year, some may last for a decade. Um, but, but the concepts usually hopefully generally the same if, if you're going to, you know, be in business for a while. So that's my take. There's a little thing called brand equity and it exactly extends, it extends into your logo. Um, and a logo in, in, in my opinion, is not, it's not something you want to go into a decision to change lightly. I mean, regardless aesthetically how it may appear to you, if people recognize that brand immediately because of, of how long that logo has been in the marketplace, you have to think really long and hard about how, about whether or not to change it at all and how much you actually should change it. My opinion, and you guys know me, I, I come from much more of an engineering side of the brain when it comes to identity development. It has to serve a purpose and it, your, your logo is a very, very purposeful machine. It, you want it to do, an, a, do a very specific job for you and do it well, but you wanna be really, really careful if you have an existing identity, how much you want to change it. It's like Jonathan and I were talking about rebranding. I mean, you want to be darn sure that if you're going to make any major changes to that, that it's going to hit the target and you're not going to lose recognition from your existing audience. Yeah. Well, I mean, into that. And, and, you know, to kind of get back into, you know, like, things that we love, um, Marvel studios. Um, let's take a look at Marvel studios and DC and, uh, you know, Marvel studios, when they started, you know, when Iron Man came out and then they started connecting all the other films, you heard a lot about them saying in their messaging, it's all connected. Um, you don't hear that anymore because they've spent 10 years establishing a brand. You know, it's connected. You don't have to tell people that anymore. They don't have to communicate that. You see a Marvel studio film and they have such brand equity over 10 years of development. I mean, they, they have done amazing things in, in the, in the area of entertainment and cinema that others um, have tried to emulate and have failed catastrophically. Uh, and I don't mean like to pick on DC, but you know, let's look at universal oh, studios studios. Well, no, hold on a minute. Universal studios, you know, you had the dark universe, you know, the dark universe, that title was actually supposed to go to, a series of movies in the DC cinematic universe that was centered around, um, uh, you know, John, John Constantine and, you know, the paranormal side of the DC brand. Um, and you know, it dark universe failed horribly, even with Tom Cruise, you know, in the mummy movie. I mean, that was kind of, there was another movie before the Tom Cruise movie. Did y'all know what it was? Uh, it, it was Dracula origins. It was the, yeah. So you had they, they were they were tied together, but you, nobody picked up on that. Yeah, because the movies were not constructed in a way to help you tie them together. You can't if you go back and you dare dare do this to watch the mummy movie with Tom Cruise. Um, there's lots of things that maybe we could do a podcast on on how you present stuff um, on presentation and, and use that movie as a as a what not to do in, in a future episode. Because, you know, we do want to not forget our nerd heritage a little bit. But, um, you know, the, the, the little Easter eggs that were in the scenes here and there, like, you know, there was a little bit of Dracula with the teeth in that movie in a jar. That was the Easter egg. But you wouldn't have known that. You would have said, oh, you know, it's vampire teeth, you know, but you wouldn't have not thought about that other movie. You would have just thought, no, oh, it's vampire teeth. Right. You know, uh, the, the threads just weren't. I mean, I don't know if it's because they released those two films. I mean, it seems like there was some significant distance between the release dates of those two movies. There was. I mean, it was very, it was very poorly planned. I mean, the, the relaunch of that brand and trying to get that out to audiences to accept it and take it uh, to, to, build, to do what Marvel did was, you know, Marvel took 10 years to get to what they are. They, they've not really changed the logo any. They've made some minor tweaks to it. How the logo is presented at the beginning of each film has drastically changed. Um, and, you know, but essentially at the core, it's the music has also stayed pretty much the same. Um, 
you know, and, and for DC and other brands to try to emulate that brand and get their footing and do the same thing. You know, you, when you're developing your brand, you want to do it. Don't look at what necessarily what everybody else is doing because you trying to replicate that magic may not happen. So well, it, may not, like, it may not reflect who you are because just because what someone else is doing is working. Chances are it, in part, in no small part, it's because it reflects who they are. You want to do something that reflects who you are. Now you can take aspects of what makes other branding work and adopt the principles in your branding. But, and that will help you achieve that kind of brand recognition. But if you take somebody else's brand and you're just basically taking who they are and slapping it on you, and that's not who you are. And people will know that people will pick up on that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everybody could tell that the, the emulation was going on and what they were trying to do. So, you know, um, it's okay to get inspiration, but just be careful not to copy too much or try to copy the strategy because there is a brand strategy, I think, that has to be laid out and that, you know, we starts at the beginning with that. But anyways, I just wanted, I wanted to bring that up as a, as a way to kind of segue into uh, the definition of what a nerd is because I know that as I was talking about that, Jonathan's like, I'm not a fan of Marvel and what y'all talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm reading something. <laughs> Well, we all have our passion. I, I mean, my my mine is cinema. Mine is movies. I mean, my passion has right. been not simply, um, you know, I like Batman. I collected Batman trades. I, I'm a kid. I'm a child of the '90s. I, you know, I for me, I collected Transformers and He-Man, and uh, I didn't get into GI Joe because uh, my parents were not wealthy. I couldn't have that much, but I was able and blessed enough to be able to have those things to as a kid to grow up with. Um, comic books, I didn't really collect. I just, the trades are for those listening that don't know, those are just like they're graphic novels. So, if you have a series of comics that comes out as a series, they kind of put them all together and re release them as such, and, and you get like one single book, and it's a huge comic book essentially. Um, but I have always loved movies. Uh, my thing about looking at movies is not watching a movie and going, Oh, that was a good movie. I always look at a movie and see what not what not how didactic it's trying to be, but like trying to figure out like, you know, there's always uh, every movie is always about redemption. So it's like trying to figure out who is the, the messianic character in here? Who's the who's the who is the real protagonist antagonist? What's going on? I love that kind of stuff. You know, it's a, a theology in film, if you will. That's what I like. So when I watch yeah. movies, I look through that lens and uh, that way I don't just come away and go, well, it's a good movie. I mean, that's not really. You know, I, I like to escape and be entertained, but I also like what's going on in it as well. So that's my fandom. That's my passion is movies. Yeah. Uh, I, mean, I, I mean, I mean, I'm in that same that same area too. And what I mean, I, of course, I'm I'm a comic book nerd, primarily Marvel. Um, but I, I'm my, I come from a a long line of movie nuts. I mean, my whole family. And you add into the fact that I have a I have a an uncle who worked in the movie business for 30 years in the special effects side of things after hanging around with him, none of us can watch a movie now and just take it at face value. Mm -hmm. We're continuity apart. Um, you know, we're looking at camera angles. We're looking for boom mic shadows. You know, it, 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 it must be very frustrating for anyone who's not a member of my family to sit with us as a group and watch a film because at some point you would stand up and scream, can't we just watch the dang movie? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yesterday I watched, uh, you know, Midsummer, and I'm I'm trying not to say summer like summer is a season. It's Samar or something like that. It's actually how it's supposed to be pronounced. But anyway, so Midsummer, I actually found and got got around to watching it. For those who don't know, if you've seen the movie Hereditary, it's I believe it's the same director, uh, in in the same kind of genre. And so, um, I don't believe that it was as good as Hereditary. If you've not seen Hereditary, I would recommend it. It's it's a if you like horror movies and all that. Um, you know, Midsommar is kind of, um, it's, it's like they said, it's a breakup movie. It's, it's, a, it's watching a, a relationship just completely, it's kind of sad, actually, uh, more than it is scary or mystifying. I mean, there are some graphics, uh, graphic uh, violence, but it's just at, at the end of the day, it's, it's, I, I watched it to escape and I walked away from it thinking like, yeah, I think we've all experienced, you know, a breakup that took really long to get through when you probably should have just ripped the Band-Aid off. Um, and that's kind of what that movie was like. It kind of just kind of drug that out. But, um, 
you know, in this, in this age where things are, there's like a lot of anxiety, it kind of helped me kind of sweep that aside and kind of escape for a bit. And that's what I, I've always loved about movies is it allows you to do that. It allows you to kind of get rid of your stress, your anxiety, whatever's going on and kind of go somewhere else for the moment. So Jonathan, what's your, what's your passion? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you I mean, do. Honestly, I, just, I don't. I don't do a whole lot of anything except, you know, the business and marketing at this point. Uh, I mean, before, really, before all of this, it was it was music, and um, you know, I would play guitar for three or four hours a day, and at one point decided, hey, I'd I'd like to sing, and started practicing that for two three hours a day, and I mean, that was really my passion and studying. You know, I got really into kind of learning about lyrics and you know listening to to 90s rock a lot um and just kind of studying the how the lyrics connected to the the culture of that time and um who were some of your influences uh so i mean pearl jam alice in chains uh trying to think i mean i'll listen to a little nirvana here and there but not a huge fan uh, I mean, obviously, it's classic rock and the Zeppelins and Black Sabbaths of the world, but uh... now you're getting closer to my wheelhouse. <laughs> I think we probably have a lot of musical things in common. Probably, um, but yeah, I mean, it, really, music was was a big passion of mine for a while. Trying to start up bands and uh, played some open mics and all that stuff, but you know, life takes its toll on you. <laughs> At some point, you got to stop being a rock star if you haven't, you know, if you haven't made a career out of it. Yeah. As I scan my room at the the two amps, the drum kit, the guitars, the uh, I some things are hard to give up on, Jonathan. Oh, I know. I still I still try to get around to it. I mean, between starting a business and having a kid at the same time, that kind of uh, <laughs> limits your free time. But now, this little thing called life happens. I know. <laughs> Sometimes it happens very fast. Yeah. Well, and the, you know, your other passion, Jonathan, and, I, and not, you know, not get too hardcore into the, the business side of things. That's part of what we're here for, too. I mean, you're really passionate about what you do when it comes to marketing. Um, I mean, I've, I've rarely, I mean, in my experience in the business, I've rarely encountered somebody who who could be as into it and be as adept at it as you are. But you maintain this cool. <laughs> Clear head, I've had a calm, <laughs> a calm countenance, and it's like, man, I need to bottle that, and I need some of that. <laughs> I appreciate it. I've, <laughs> I've had a, you know, I had a great mentor at my, when at, at the agency that I worked at previously. Um, you know, really, I've been in account management for probably going on six or seven years, and you know, I, I think I've told both of you, I just kind of gotten used to <laughs> the day to day of. Of juggling, you know, 20 different things and people calling you and all that. Uh, and, I, you know, I genuinely, as much as I like to see our, you know, our agency grow and our business grow, I like to see other people's grow. Um, and obviously that's how it works. If we grow our clients, our business grows. So, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Our, our growth is dependent upon the growth of our clients. And if they succeed, we succeed. Right. I mean, that's. I just like I to mean, see them happy. I mean, you know, when we work in e-commerce, or, or any you know work with any client i like to open up my email and see happiness and positivity uh, you know i think it threads through everything we do we're, we're just trying to make people's lives easier and help them overcome you know the the rapidly changing marketing space uh with, with a thousand different channels and you know it's very different from a time when it was mainly just tv radio and print yeah, but it, it's like, I mean, Jason, you and I have talked and you know how, you know where I stand. I mean, there are, there are infinitely more channels to, to project your message, but when you boil it down to its essentials, the principles all still remain the same, whether it's web, whether it's social media, whether it's print, uh, broadcast over the top. If you, if you hold to those solid principles of good messaging, storytelling, and that, you know, overlapping in the film here, I guess, um, if you follow those same principles, you can succeed in any channel. And then there's the whole idea that you is orchestrating those channels all to leverage one another to propel that brand message. You, you yeah. can't look at you can't look at any of them 
isolated on a little island and expect that one thing is going to mm-hmm. is, is going to do the job for you. I mean, it's like I mean, you guys can probably relate. Over the last decade, the whole idea of um, I mean, social when social media exploded, it's almost like that became the um, the cure all medicine to fix all marketing ills. <laughs> right. And then Facebook and took it. Take my head at you know it coming out of client meetings and the expectations that people have for what social media was going to do mm-hmm. to sell their product. It's like, hold on, folks. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, you know, that's the world. No magic bullet. Right. Uh, that's the world I, you know, entered the marketing space on because, you know, I graduated college in 2012. And so 2011 to 2014, really, I mean, Facebook pages were coming out and becoming a, a business channel. Twitter was, you know, getting mainstream notoriety. Uh, Pinterest had just launched. I mean, there was a, and, and everything, the organic channels were actually really good. And that's why people, you know, looked to a Facebook page to be like a silver bullet because you could suddenly reach thousands of people for free <laughs> um, just by the way the engine worked. Right. You know, of course, as, as those companies went public and more and more people started competing for that space, you know, the, the social organic channels narrowed significantly and, and your reach got uh basically shoveled away in the corner <laughs> well, I think, yeah. pay for it but uh yeah after about a decade or so i think everybody finally caught on to the idea that facebook twitter instagram um all these free communication methods they were eventually finding their way to make a box right if i mean that was always built in anyway just the general public didn't catch on to that until probably the last what two three years. Yeah. Um, well, the, the the problem is is that when we talk about channels, social media has a lot of sub channels, being the different networks I believe that you have. But Facebook is not a strategy, and a lot of businesses put a business strategy into their Facebook page. Mm-hmm. And uh, that Facebook doesn't care about your business. Um, Facebook is not a platform that you have any ownership of. And therefore, it is not actually looking out for you because it's Facebook, it's their property. It's, it's their algorithms. It's their proprietary technology that you are placing your information on. It's no different than back in the day having a listing site. You put a listing online is what you've done. But fewer and fewer Facebook pages are showing up in Google search results because of how people search and what they're looking for and Google seeing that those Facebook pages don't provide relative con relevant content mm-hmm. that people are looking for. So you'll see fewer and fewer Facebook pages ranked with, you know, organic results for a search that you're doing, not a direct search for a business. If you do a direct search, that's you type in the business name to look for them. You'll probably find their Facebook page uh, somewhere down in the result, either page one or two. Well, don't um, part of this is because you look at Facebook, then you look at, let's say, who controls the web, Google? <laughs> and to a certain, but not control is the wrong word. Well, you'd be surprised. I mean, a website, <laughs> a website, you know, people laugh at Bing and Bing becomes the butt of jokes. Um, but, you know, other search engines do exist, just like other browsers exist. Um, anal- Google Analytics is the primary tool that every website owner should have running on their website to inform them about everything going on with their brand, with everything going on with their business. It's sort of like having a brick and mortar but just a bunch of windows, but no doors. So you're just sitting in your building and you don't have a door and people are just kind of poking their heads through trying to see in the window, but you really don't know who's outside because nobody's coming in. And you're not looking at that. You're not paying attention to the audience that's coming in and out. I mean, I, if you find that you're servicing 55 and up that, that that's a mechanism that can tell you that to direct all your advertising and sales initiatives toward, because those are the people that care about your product, have loyalty to it and spend money. Your website is a mechanism that provides you that insight. Facebook, I'm sorry, doesn't. You know, Facebook is a very hard animal to kind of sit and look at the metrics and say this is working without some of the third or fourth party tools uh, that that measure metrics and and provide you that, which they do exist, you know. Mm. Uh, I mean, and it's like you kind of have to – and you also don't want to try to look at your, your, your performance through a keyhole either. So Google Analytics should not be the only tool you're using. Um, but at the very least you have access. Google's given people a lot of tools for free to use 
that are like that to verify your website online for the search engines. And then Google Analytics is for you measuring what happens now that you're online. And a lot of businesses we come across that we try to do work for. I mean, I, I asked for the analytics because I don't agree or believe in making arbitrary decisions about a brand's design or layout on their webpage just for the sake of doing so. Subjectivity, I, I believe at most places, works in a museum, in an art museum, but not necessarily in a business model. I know that sounds really harsh, but um, when you're trying to make money on your site, when it's really the, the, when it's really the lifeline for your business's awareness, that is not just brand awareness, that is to remind people on a constant basis that you're still in business and you still exist, but also to make money with it, to have transactions occur. It's a vital piece and to not know what's going on should scare the heck out of everybody that doesn't have analytics running right now. Well, it, and this is all perfectly germane to the moment we're in right now with the COVID-19 thing going on. Yes. I mean, it, it, I mean, having a, a work, the businesses that had a working um, functional e-commerce presence right now w was a huge advantage coming into this situation. Don't you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, let's let's talk about that. I mean, it's our next segment. This is our nerd help segment. Keep this thing as lighthearted as possible, guys. We're going to have some fun here, right? It's the nerd help segment. We're going to have like a little show tune thing at some point for our listeners. So, you know, uh, yeah, make some noises, car home, burp, burp, whatever Mitch, we come play up your with. Guitars. Yeah, Mitch, play your guitar. Yeah, just don't drop the phone and disconnect. No, don't don't have Mitch. Please, Jonathan, don't have Mitch move. Last time he kept disconnecting and we lost him. And now we all know he needs training wheels and it's just not any good. Uh, <laughs> we love you, Mitch. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> so anyways, nerd help segments. This is where we try to offer some tips and stuff since we're going to transition into this. Uh, Jonathan, why don't you kind of share some of your insights you have about e-commerce in this era of the pandemic, what to sell on and that kind of stuff. I know you got some some informations. Uh, well, you know, so. To me, every everybody got in an upheaval and, you know, started getting in a frenzy. Uh, understandably, there's a pandemic. But, uh, you know, from a from an e-commerce specific standpoint, I think you have to be careful adjusting too many things. At the end of the day, you know, Mitch always says nothing's changed. Nothing's new. It really isn't. Uh, with e-commerce, it, it really always boils down to how many people are hitting your website. Uh, what what conversion are the you know percentage are they converting at, and then what's their average order value? I mean, there's there's obviously a, a hell of a lot of intricacies built into that and, and data, you know, uh, strategic decisions that have to be made around those things. But at the end of the day, that's those are the three kind of pillars of e-commerce um, that you really have to keep an eye on and, and manipulate through your tactics. Um, so to me, you know, as we're as we're facing a pandemic, I think to Mitch's point, anybody who had an e-commerce presence, you know, out of the gate is probably doing pretty well, um, as long as their, you know, supply chains and all that are, are in order. But, uh, you know, during a downturn, everybody starts cutting off advertising expenses and, um, you know, digital ad spend is probably one of the very first things that any company looks to trim the fat around, uh, which to me is kind of counterintuitive during of an incoming financial burden. Um, so to me, I would caution cutting your digital ad spend at a time like this. Uh, some of the data we've seen that came out of WordStream, and I think we'll, we'll share this in the blog post with the, the podcast. Um, you know, click-through rates in Google search have increased since February. Uh, cost per click in a lot of industries has, has dropped significantly. Uh, you can imagine things like restaurants and uh kind of delivery specifics, uh, delivery specific services, you know, their cost per click has plummeted. Um, so you can, if, if you have the funds, you can really make a mark there. Um, yeah. Buy now is it's a buyer's market. Exactly. Uh, yeah. A friend, a uh, friend of ours, uh, uh, Dave Wilson at uh, prospect chamber, he's got a, he, he runs legacy home estate. So there's a shout out. Um, you know, he was like joking with me one day. He's a big Star Wars nut. He just loves Star Wars. And he was laughing. He said, I should buy some stock in Disney now because <laughs> everything's dropped. The price, the price got so low. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So anyways, sorry, Jonathan, go ahead. Just to piggyback a little bit what Jonathan said about something, I'll, I'll say this and I'll shut up. <clears throat> it's, it's, an old, it's an adage. It's as old as advertising. That is, 
when times are good, you advertise. When times are bad, you advertise more. But to Jonathan's point, there's this knee-jerk reaction on a lot of businesses' part that when, when things start to get a little hard, of course, you, they want to start cutting how much money they're spending. So what's one of the first things they look at? They look at advertising. Mm -hmm. The point is, you don't need less traffic. You need more traffic. Well, how do you do that? You, you communicate more often, more frequently, and more clearly with your audience. And how do you do that? Advertising, whether it's digital or, or, or otherwise. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I think it really, you know, obviously everything always boils down to what's your industry, what's the behavior of competitors, uh, you know, in, in real estate, legal, uh, health and medical. I mean, those those categories are probably significantly more competitive right now, although the demand is higher as well. Um, you know, so I, I think just keep an eye. Don't don't get caught up in the frenzy of everything happening, like at the broader economic level. I mean, especially if you're in e-commerce, things like uh, uh, some of the data about sales increasing. Uh, baby products are up 611 percent. Medical and essentials are up 433%. Food and beverage, 157%. And the list goes on and on with pets, toys and games, health and wellness. Um, I mean, there are, uh, the, the in, there are a lot of industries that are doing exceptionally well throughout this. Uh, you know, obviously, a lot of non-essentials are, are seeing a drop, but uh, not everything. I mean, you know, people are stuck indoors. They're... They're having to find ways to entertain themselves. They're staying online longer. They're they're doing more searching, um, and so you know a lot of a lot of industries are in good shape right now. Um, well, but even, kind of go even if you're not one of those industries that are you know that are really where traffic has increased significantly, you still want to let people know, hey, we're out here, we're okay, uh, we're here now, we're going to be here when this is all over with. I'm seeing some ads like that on mm -hmm. on television, for example. Right. You just want to remind people you want to keep the, you maintain the brand awareness. You can't just disappear. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. And to me, that's, you know, you look at the businesses that are struggling in this time period, uh, businesses that are, you know, 99% dependent upon having people physically come to their location, uh, you know, like a car dealership. Uh, I mean, you do have to really sit down and think hard about how you can, effectively re you know reposition your brand to compete in an online environment now uh, and so a lot of car dealerships are are moving to you know virtual uh environments where people can view the cars they're they're handling all the, the contract uh arrangements and all that stuff you know virtually now um, Carv carvana was very well positioned for a situation like this true yeah um so to me, but uh, kind of to go back to the original point of trying not to get too much into a frenzy, don't overthink it. At the end of the day for e-commerce, again, it's, it's you know, the channels that are going to be your goldmine or email and, and most likely organic search or search in general. Um, so, yeah, you might you might see less appeal in having social media presence, right? like a, a dominant social media presence right now, um, just because it's, you know, you don't have that extra budget to justify that but you know you can't pull back on everything it makes sense to refocus your efforts into the channels that are you know historically the the roi generators and uh for e-commerce it's definitely honing in on your email list if you're not doing that right now uh keeping an eye like you know, with google analytics like jason was saying on what's happening with your organic traffic um over the next you know couple months uh, and pay attention to those key channels that are historically your, your traffic drivers and your, your high converting channels. Yeah. I think a lot of people think of Google too, when we talk about um, search uh, folks, don't forget uh, YouTube is a search engine, uh, Amazon. Okay. Uh, so you have, uh, you have optimiz you have the ability to run paid ads on Google, which allows you to also reach on YouTube uh, with video, um, you have Amazon that has its own closed loop, um, ad network. You can run ads on, uh, post product on, you can sync e-commerce between your WooCommerce store for using WordPress to an Amazon store. So there's, 
don't don't always get so focused when it comes to SEO on just Google. It's not. It, it, I know I understand everybody's jokes and it's a Google world, but when it comes to e-commerce, it's not always a Google world. There's some others out there that you know you could find where your shoppers are, and and that's something else that you know we help people do. Mm. And your analytics are going to tell you that. So before yeah. you spend massive amounts of money on that on advertising, yeah, on that topic, I mean, we brought up Bing earlier. Uh, looking at the the word stream data, which it's based on like I think March 16th through the 31st, but the conversion rate for PPC, your pay per click advertising on Bing for food and groceries was seven and a half percent. Occasions and gifts, surprisingly, I guess maybe for Easter, uh, was six uh, percent. Uh, beauty and personal care was three almost three and a half percent on bing uh, so don't don't get neglectful of the other channels and you know again as we're, we're you're thinking about the competitive environment if a lot of your competitors are pouring extra budget into google you know but they're neglecting bing you might see some some opportunities there as well yeah, it's not, yeah. even if you're having to even if you're having to spend less you can still spend smart mm-hmm. yeah well, uh, appreciate that, guys. Uh, uh, I think the next part of our show we're going to try to get to here real quick is the nerd mail. And uh, we didn't really get a lot of mail this time. Uh, we read some questions last time from mail that we got, but we didn't really get much. Uh, this week has been a very trying week for everybody um, with the SBA loan madness and, uh, you know, payroll protection, unemployment, you know, going up into record numbers that I just don't I can't you really get my head around because it's so much. Yeah. Um, you know, we're not a resource to kind of help that. Um, but we do want to recommend and kind of give a shout out to the prospect chamber of commerce. Um, they are doing their best to give everybody, um, tools, uh, webinars, whatever, and to inform you about this, uh, to figure out what it is you need to do, where you need to go. So you can go to prospect, uh, area chamber, uh, org. Or you just go to our website at nerdbrandagency.com, find the prospect project that we did, and it'll take you to their website. And, um, you know, follow them on Facebook as well. And uh, so we want to give a big shout out to the chamber. Uh, they've been good friends of, uh, of ours. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, they're support we small businesses. Yeah. Yes, they support small businesses. So we, we really yeah, love they're them. They're doing uh, <clears throat> making information available about these, re- these government resources to help small businesses maintain during this time. Yeah. Yeah. So, but anyways, I think that that's going to conclude our show. Um, We appreciate all of our listeners that we got and uh, we want to tell everybody to remember, keep your nerd band strong. Yay.